I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And today we have a special guest, Eagle Yarl. Eagle Yarl. <laughs> Go with Eagle Yarl, uh, author of uh, To Your Emperor, among other things. Thanks for joining us. And today's episode is going to be about writer's block, what it is, how to avoid it, and how to deal with it if you find yourself in it. So, Alexander, why don't you start us off with what you'd call writer's block? Because I know there's a few different ways it can manifest. Yeah, so writer's block is a, is a difficult thing to talk about because a lot of people use the term writer's block to cover a variety of different like mental states, I guess. And for me, when I say writer's block, I mean that, that the words just aren't coming out, basically. And sometimes that's because I'm not in like the mood to, to like get in that flow state of writing, or sometimes I am not producing anything that's worthwhile from like an artistic standpoint. Uh, and sometimes it's related specifically to the project that I'm working on. Like I'm blocked on one project for whatever reason, and the words will not come out for it. And then on this other project, I know that I could just push out uh, 2,000 words or 4,000 words or something like that. So usually the more severe version of writer's block is you just sit down at your computer or your typewriter or whatever, and you just sit there staring at the blank page, or you write a word, and then you decide that that word was not a good word to have, and, and you, you just don't, you aren't producing anything. Right. What are you, Eagle? What's the kind of writer's block that you encounter the most? So... I have two kinds that have happened to me. The first one, what Alexander was saying, where there's just no words happening. And the other one is when I find myself editing and editing and editing, trying to preserve this one happy snippet that I should just let go of, and I'm having trouble with that. Right. And it prevents me from writing onward. Yeah, and writing serial fiction, the way all three of us have done, writer's block can be particularly bothersome. Obviously, if you're writing a novel and you're on a deadline, you know, you want to get it done by the deadline, or your editors and publisher will be angry with you. But when the deadline is on a bi-weekly basis or a monthly basis or so, you've got that pressure looming more often, which is one of the one of the negatives that we've talked about for doing serial fiction. So one of the things that I've found that's interesting about writer's block, when I experience it, is that if I've got the plan overall ahead of time ready, what I've noticed is that my writer's block tends to come more from individual scenes, which is not the case when I was writing a novel from start to finish and didn't have looming pressures. Sometimes that writer's block would come in the form of what happens next, but when writing serial fiction, it's not what happens next, it's how do I approach this scene that I get stuck on. Yeah, I think that, I think that a lot of the time writer's block comes from fundamental problems with a story, and that's, that's where I find individual scenes get me because I'm trying to uh, force it in some way. It's like you get to a scene and these two characters, you know, the whole thing's plotted out, mm -hmm. but you get to the scene, these two characters have to have this specific conversation to move the plot along, and then you realize that, you know, one of them is acting out of character, or... The words just feel dull. Yeah, the natural path that they're taking is not, is not the correct one. George R. R. Martin is... I'm not sure that you would call it writer's block, because um, he, he has like normal output, but he had this plan for um, Song of Ice and Fire where he was going to um, do this five-year time skip uh, right after book three. Like, book three would end, maybe a five-year time skip, and then going to book four, and then all the stuff that um, came between in those that five, five years would be told in flashback. And he decided at some point that that was not a thing that he wanted to do and then he had all these problems that came out of that that just stalled out his, his writing, his productive output. 
Oh, I didn't know that. I'm actually glad that he didn't do that, but uh, I guess we can't really know which one would have been better. Yeah. Well, books books four and five are sort of what would have happened in the time skip and right. would have been to- all in flashback. So it's it's kind of that's happened to me where I changed the plan in midstream. And that's when I it's like, OK, I have this plan. And especially when you're writing serial and you're like five or ten chapters in, you can't really be like, oh, I'm changing my plan now. And then there's all this foreshadowing and like setup and stuff and really should have done that. And I can't do it now in chapter 11 so there's actually uh i want to go back to something you said a moment ago alexander about there being problems with the book and that's what's causing it the one time that i have not completed a work was tinker's daughter and which i got 11 chapters into and then realized that it was not going to happen and the reason with that when i analyzed it was because i had no antagonist in the story and no easy way to bring one in and i already, uh, whatever it was, 40,000 words or 50,000 words in the story. And so that's the message I learned from that is I don't generally plan my work out as far ahead as many people do, as, as I think you do, Alexander Wales. I write much more off the cuff. But since then, I have learned that when I sit down to write, I have to have certain questions answered in advance. What is the main conflict? Who is the main antagonist? How and when do they meet and why are they antagonists? And from there, you know, those can be a sentence each, but from there, right. you've got to have those or the story is going to die. Yeah. And I, for a long time, I was, I, I did not plot at all. I would just, I would just write and it would go great. And then I'd get to like 30,000, 40,000 words and I'd be like, wait, where am I going with this? Like how that, that's where the block would happen or I'd, I'd start losing this enthusiasm. And I think enthusiasm is a big part of why I write. And it's a big part of why I stop writing because I'll, I'll get that loss of enthusiasm and output will go from like 2000 words a day to a thousand words a day. And then I'll like skip a couple days writing and then I'll move on to a different project, which you can't do in serial fiction without like pissing people off. Right. You can't just be like, well, I'm kind of done with that story because uh, I, I don't, I no longer enjoy it. Um, and that's kind of a bad way to write in general, but I have had, works where I got 60,000 words in and then thought to myself, you know, this would have been better if it were two different stories that were totally unrelated to each other. And I think that a certain type of author gets to that and they're so invested in completing the work that for them, that's just a total writer's block. They don't, they don't want to move on to something else. They don't want to, mm-hmm. they, they want to try to do the editing work to make that happen, I guess. It's really interesting for me to hear you say that because for me, it's the other way around. The things that I've written for just purely for fun, like uh, Tear Emperor and Teen Anko, you know, I didn't do any real plotting. I just sat down and started writing and it was a blast and it was easy and blah, blah, blah. The ones that I wrote with the intent to publish them, like Induction, I plotted it out in great detail in advance and oh my God, it was a misery. <laughs> I was having to push through snowbanks the whole way to make progress. That's one of the things that I've also found was was frustrating for me was that I had a tendency to I enjoyed editing so much for my own work obviously it's it's kind of like a guilty pleasure of being able to just read back over what you've written and edit it and change words I know a lot of authors you know get caught in the editing trap and I feel like I'm still writing when I'm editing which is dangerous because it makes me feel like okay I didn't get any extra really like 
progress done, but at least I did some editing. And that's one of the things that I've, I've kind of broken myself from by doing serial fiction. But what has been kind of the different writer's block that I've encountered now that I've never really felt before doing rational fiction is research. And, like, I like learning things, but researching is kind of a different beast because I'm not just trying to learn it, I'm trying to learn it well enough to communicate it to someone else, which requires, like, a different level of knowledge. And so if I don't feel like I've gotten that level of knowledge yet, and I don't feel confident in how well I can explain it, I get stuck, and I, I try to basically push past that as best I can. But I've, I've had a few chapters where that was a number, a number of the reasons why I've had trouble with chapters in the past was that. So for avoiding writer's block, in terms of just preparing your, your, yourself and your story so that it doesn't come up again in the future, what are some strategies that you guys have used? Well, so I, I, I have tried, I've tried plotting. Uh, as a way of having, like, knowing what was ahead of me. Because for a long time, that was, that was my problem, was that I would, I would get to, it was always around 30,000 words, and then I could come back to the story later on and add more words to it. The lack of plotting was, I think, got me blocked a lot. It got me losing enthusiasm a lot. Sort of two different sides of, of writer's block there. And so I did, I do plotting now. I, cause I think it, generally results in a stronger work sort of depending on whether how much you enjoy editing i detest editing uh so i never i i like write a if i write a book and then i come back to it i'm just like oh the the line editing is fine it's just it's coming back to do structural changes there's so much work involved in that and you get to the end of writing a book and you don't necessarily remember all the details from the beginning or the middle necessarily and you know i've been caught out a few times on it's like oh their, their eye color changed here it's like well okay that's that's because i i just made it up when i got to that point so um but i've i've tried plotting out and i think you get a kind of paint by numbers thing there where it can be less fun it's one of the things i've been trying to train myself for is to, to plot just the right amount so that i still had enough leeway in there to have fun and get into that flow state. I think that flow state of writing. The flow, yeah, flow state's pretty important. Um, it's obviously the funnest and most productive stage of writing for a lot of people. And like, it's funny that you mentioned the eye color thing. This last chapter that I just published was there was a, there was a scene where a character's eye color changed mid chapter, and one of the commenters said, "Why is the eye color brown here and, and blue here?" And he's like, "Oh, right. I had this idea in mind where like the person like put contacts in when they were doing interviews because someone had told them that their gaze was too like cold normally, so they put brown contacts in to make it more warm." And they're like, "No, that's stupid. Let me take that out." And then I forgot to change the change the part where the, they had brown eyes later on. So yeah, that can happen even when editing within one chapter, let alone your entire story. Yeah, when and one of the things, one of the reasons that I think that my pace slows down as I near the end or even like the middle of a longer thing is that you accumulate so many details that you've put in and those ruin the flow state for me. If I have to like stop in the middle of writing and go look up whether I said someone had siblings or something where I just don't know off the top of my head and I can't go through. So I think in terms of avoiding writer's block, yeah, that's, that's my first thing is that you want to plot so that you know where you're going, but you don't want to plot so much that you do not take pleasure in writing. And some people, they can they can do a paragraph summary of each scene and what it's intended to accomplish, and then just write that scene out, and that's totally fine for them. For me, I need, like, a single sentence per scene, 
or maybe less than that for me to still take enjoyment. And then I need to find other things through revealing them. That That's for, for me where, where I like writing the most. I will get blocked if I just have to churn through, if the words are just sort of rote, I guess. Right. For me, the things that help are, number one, defining the, the really critical elements in advance. So knowing who my antagonist is and what my central conflict is going to be. And if there's a big bad, is it the same as the antagonist? So that's that's one set of things. And then I set up a certain framework of background information. I have a, I have a file for characters. I have a file for the timeline, which I've discovered is the single most important framing piece that I do. Mm-hmm. Every time that I don't keep track of the timeline, it ends up bad. Like if you go through Team Anko, you'll find that um, you can tell exactly when I started keeping it because right in the beginning, if you do the math on how long they took to go from point A to point B, you know, apparently they traveled several hundred miles in about 20 minutes. <laughs> and in To Your Emperor, there was there was a thing like that where you could get around it by saying, well, talking's a free action, so they could have the entire peace conference in like, you know, six seconds. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are a couple glitches like that. But I've learned to be very careful about that. And having it specifically in files means that I can switch to the file, do a quick control F to check on something, switch back and keep going without having my flow broken too much. If I pile everything into one sort of notes file, I find that doesn't work as well for me. Yeah, that's an important distinction. I recently also had to do the whole, like, okay, let me buckle down and just figure out how many days it's been since they started and, like, how many weeks they spent in this part of the journey versus this part of the journey. And now that I've got it all, like, plotted out and written down chapter by chapter what days are and stuff, it's it's easier to reference and before that, I was just kind of constantly having to check it over and over again because it just wasn't staying in my memory. So, yeah, like those those kinds of basic plotting things out, scheduling notes, those kinds of things are important just for the the times when you feel yourself stuck on something to prevent that that's being stuck on a, on a detail from expanding and taking up 20 minutes of, of looking something up and for avoiding that sense of getting sick of a story, I'm not sure what the best option for that is. I know that I've found myself having, you know, waxing and waning periods of interest in a story while it's being written, and the things that kind of help me get back into it that I've found just to keep my my energy on the story up is sometimes I listen to Music or music videos that music that that starts a music video in my head, I should say. It happens a lot with music that I listen to, and I tend to, when I'm working on a story, picture what a music video of my story would be like with that song. And it tends to be things that have already happened, but also things that are coming up, scenes that I know are coming up. And my eagerness to get to those points kind of refreshes my my interest in the story. And I've noticed that, like the way I've always thought of this current Pokemon story, there's beacons of light just in the distance that I'm kind of rushing toward. Rushing is obviously being generous to myself, because it's been a long, slow story, but like I'm kind of going through the dark between these beacons of light. Uh, the Mewtwo chapter was one of the major ones early on that I knew I was, I was working my way toward, and if I feel like I'm losing interest in the story at any point, and I just, I'm not as motivated to get the next chapter out, because it's not engaging my attention as much as my other ideas are, my my other story ideas or other projects that I'm working on, then I just kind of refresh my memory of why I'm so interested in getting to that next part, that next beacon. 
and it, it drives me to to be engaged in the story again. Yeah, nice, cool technique. I don't know if it works for all stories. Obviously, if you if your story is not very um, action heavy or anime esque, I don't know how well you can do a music video in your head of a dialogue heavy drama. But it works for some stories. I think it's probably one of those things where if you if you find yourself getting like really bogged down in a in a chapter or a scene or something, and you're just you're just really bored writing it. That is a good sign to cut that scene or that chapter, mm, yeah. which can be difficult because sometimes it's like connective tissue that needs to be there. But I've often gotten to a point in a project where I'm like, oh, like this is boring. It's like, well, then why, why is it there? Right. Um, there to move the plot along, maybe, or for important characterization, but. I, my wife does a lot of beta reading for me, and the instruction that I give her is just, if you find something that is boring to you, that's that's the thing that I need to know the most about. Continuity issues, line editing, repeated words, whatever, that's it's all fixable stuff, but if it's boring, that's the worst, the worst sin that you can have. And it's not always a, a case where I think readers can tell, necessarily, but, because I've, I've had things that were just an absolute chore to write, and I put them out, and people are like, oh, this is like the best chapter. It's like, really? It didn't feel like the best chapter. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think that I think that one of the reasons that people have writer's block is that they're struggling with the work in some way, and feeling bored with the work is, to me, an, al- an alarm sign, I guess. Yeah. One of the ways that I try to avoid that is multiple characters, multiple viewpoints, sort of. So I'm sort of like alternating between plot lines or between viewpoints at the very least to sort of, you know, because staying in one character's head for the length of like writing an entire novel, which is like dozens of hours, that is exhausting to me to stay in that one headspace. That's sort of why I'm an unfaithful author where I don't stick with works for all that long. I always want to go like, I was, I was going to want to go like rush off and write a short story about like Airbud, how, how they managed to not have a rule about dogs not being able to play basketball. I always want to like rush off and do other stuff. So having multiple viewpoints and multiple plot lines that are supposed to meet up at the end, I find that very helpful for not losing interest and enthusiasm in a work. And then like if I get to the end of a chapter with one character, I don't need to immediately go back in necessarily into their head right. to write them. One other thing I want to say is uh, scheduled writing time helps a lot for me where I can be like, okay, I'm going to Definitely be writing for these like two or three hours a day, and then once that time is done, I'm off the clock basically, and I just don't need to think about it anymore. Um, that helps for me if I'm if I've like got a deadline, and then I just get stressed out about that deadline. Having having set times helps me not helps me avoid that that ug field of that, that leads to writer's block. Gotcha. Writing sounds really painful for you. <laughs> it sometimes is. Uh, and it's sometimes, like, so great. God, I wrote a short story about Star Wars. It's Instruments of Destruction. Oh, that was great. Wrote that in, like, two hours, and it was, like, the best feeling to just rank it out, and it felt so good to write. And then I finished it, and I was like, I'm done! And... But longer works can be painful at times. Tinker's daughter is was just agonizing for me in exactly that way. So 
when you feel yourself in writer's block then, like when you've got either the UG feeling or you've got your attention drawn to different stories, what are some strategies you guys have used to really get yourself out of it or get yourself through it? Well, I have five strategies, actually, that I'll, if I may, I'll just run down very briefly. And I generally do them in this order, is first, pull on a thread. Find something that interests you, whether it's a bit of world building or, you know, copy editing something that came right before this to get back into the mindset. Whatever it is, find one thing about this story that you want to engage with, engage with it, it'll usually bring words with it. Mm-hmm. Failing that, scene hop. Like, with Two Year Emperor, I had this uh, conference scene that I was supposed to have, and I would not come, and so I just skipped on. Figured, ah, you know, I'll come back and fill this in, and I never did, and I don't think the story suffered for that. But, uh, but you know, even if it had, there's no reason I, if it had actually been an important scene, I could have come back to it later. You don't have to write things in order. Right. And then there's the, and then everyone dies. So I've been staring at the screen for like 10 minutes. I'm just getting more and more angry. I'm just ready to flip the desk. And so I just write, and then everybody died. And, you know, I actually write that into the story. And then I look at it and I go, oh, I can't do that. The audience will get me. Fine, I'll do this instead. And boom, there is something. The taking a nap is a, or, you know, just going to bed and coming back to it the next day is good, as long as you don't do that too much. Mm-hmm. And the one I discovered most recently was to change genre so i was writing tinker's daughter which was epic fantasy and a novel very much a novel and i just hit an absolute wall it got slower and slower and then it just stopped and i could not make it go and so i announced to the readership okay you know i'm shutting this down putting it in a drawer and i did a post-mortem on why and then i said okay i'm going to do an info dump of what the rest of the story would have been And for whatever reason, I decided to do that in the form of a just-so bedtime story. Hmm. And a couple hours later, I had whatever it was, you know, 3,000 or 5,000 words that outlined what the rest of the story could have been. And so at that point, I could have actually taken that and gone back into the story and actually written it and, you know, had the novel. But I'd already announced to everybody that, no, I'm done. And I already had new ideas, so I just, you know, I just let it go. But uh, that is now a tactic that I'm going to keep for the next time I start having issues. It's just, you know, take the rest of the novel and tell it in the form of a bedtime story in a writing style very different. Right. The, the scene jumping that you mentioned is, is probably the main thing that I've used. I'll sometimes be on it. Like, I, early on, this happened a lot more. Nowadays, I'm ready for it, and I just jump straight to another scene. I'll sometimes start even putting... I'll do, like, a sentence, line break, two sentences, line break, three sentences, two sentences, line break, and all the scenes that I know the, the chapter is going to have. And then I'll just go with the one that interests me most first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of jump around, shifting things as I need to. But if I know some part of the chapter that I'm ready to get done... I just do it and worry about the rest later. And that keeps the momentum going and helps, especially with the, like you said, you know, if something doesn't really actualize at some point, then like, oh, well, maybe I didn't really need it after all. Yep. Makes sense to me. What about you, Alex? Is this something that you've seen yeah. that's worked for you? So in in high school, I wrote a uh, letter to Max Berry, who wrote uh, Jennifer Government and Syrup and... Lexicon and company and a bunch of other books, but he wrote back, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. And I had asked for advice about writer's block and the, the advice that he gave is it's a thing that I still use, which is to just start deleting the most recent word, like delete the last sentence that you wrote (laughs) and then delete like a paragraph and then see whether that helps or not. And a lot of times for me, that does help because I've 
my problem is that I've sort of gone down the wrong path and didn't realize it, or I wrote myself into a corner mm-hmm. in some way. Not necessarily like a big, you know, end the entire plot corner, but like right. an end to a conversation too early. Or the person was acting in character, but they were just being like, they were feeling a little too much of one emotion or whatever. But that that backtracking helps me a whole lot. It's less helpful if I'm writing out of order, but because I mostly write in order for serial stuff, like you... I, I enjoy writing out of order, but then if you're doing a chapter at a time, you don't really have that luxury. As um, much, yeah. So, yeah, as much. So the backtracking gets gets more use there because I have to solve the problems within the current chapter. Right. I have vent projects. Uh, I, Shadows of Limelight, I took. I was just like, okay, I'm going to take a, a week off and I'm going to write something completely different. I ended up writing a... My average chapter there was like 8,000 words, and I ended up writing, in the course of a week, a 20 thousand word novella which was like really good for productive output not good for shadows of the limelight shadows of the limelight necessarily but i only had to take a week off and then when my week off was over i came back and had sort of recharged my batteries by dipping into something else for a bit and then the last thing i do is i try to find if there are existing issues within the work that are causing the block that's actually I think probably my second thing I do after trying to backtrack a little and see if I've gotten myself stuck somewhere is I, I try to see where my problems in the work as a whole are. And I've started doing that ever since I was writing. It's like Chinese fantasy detective story that I had gotten. It, it's the one I had gotten halfway through this plotted out novel. And then I was like, oh, this this is like I'm trying to do this fish out of water thing. And then I'm trying to do this like two different views towards the criminal justice system thing. And they don't really work all that well together because there's too much. It's like, it's like a fantasy story with fish out of water. And then you have to introduce all the stuff that was in the ocean. And then all the stuff that's in land. And that's a lot harder than if you just take your protagonist from a world known to the reader. But I didn't realize that was going to be an issue at all until I was really deep into it. And I think that if I thought more about it, the first time I got stuck, I just, I, I kept getting stuck there and I kept writing past it. And then I, that got me way too many words in before realizing that the story as a whole was not working. So I think when I get truly blocked, I think that that is usually a problem with the story rather than a problem with my inability to get into a flow state. Or, or the problems with the story cause the flow state problems rather than you know, it just being my brain. Gotcha. Eagle, there was something you said about um, the everyone dies approach, which it reminded me of the, and then someone bursts into the room with a gun, which I think I've heard other writers talk about, like, as a way to, to get through writer's block. Have you ever done something similar to that, where you, you're like, uh, I don't really know what's going to happen here next, I'm struggling with this, so sudden mayhem occurs, and how do they deal with that? Yes, but not deliberately. <laughs> um, when I... I told this story a couple times, but when I was when I was writing Two Year Emperor, I had some very sketchy plans, you know, very minor, like the whole mind screw thing was set up I think sixty thousand words in advance. That was one of the few things. But Loki. Loki was a main character in that story. Everybody loved him, which is why he got more and more screen time. He ended up being one of the 
not big bads, but like one of the main master manipulators in the background. He was never supposed to be in that story. I had no intention to put him there. All that I knew was I got to the end of this chapter and this turtle appeared and just started talking. And I had no idea why. But I was like, okay, well, sure. It sounds like fun. I'll publish a chapter. And then we come back to the next chapter and I have to, you know, write that. And suddenly I've got Loki chewing on the scenery and, you know, transforming and doing all this wacky stuff. And it was a lot of fun to write. So, you know, he got more and more screen time. I had no intention of him being there. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. Weirder than that. So I spent easily a full novel worth of words building up with, you know, Jake and Albrecht were going to have this big war and it was going to be and all this. Right, right. And then they just went and signed a peace treaty. I, I literally looked at the screen and said, what did you two just do? <laughs> I had no intention for that to happen, and it did. And it certainly, you know, like got me back into the story. So. Yeah, characters taking on a life of their own is something that I've talked about a number of times with my uh, co-writer with another project that I worked on a long time ago. And like characters sometimes are like Indian in the cupboard style, like hanging on our shoulders or sitting by our desk while we write, shouting things at us for what we're doing to their characters or, you know, suggesting different things or things like that. I don't, I've never done the someone comes in the room with a gun situation, but what I've, what I've found myself doing sometimes when I'm feeling bored or discouraged or not passionate about a certain scene is I'm like, my character is being too good or too perfect or too, he's just just too relatable or too something, too too boring, really. And I'll just kind of prod them down the path towards making a mistake or being a little too selfish or a little more immature or making just a little bit of the wrong choice. I just invite conflict, really. I just I find a way to make life a little harder for them, either from someone else or from themselves, something they do. And that's worked wonderfully a number of times, no matter how much my characters hate it when I do that to them. Well, you know, if they didn't like it, they shouldn't have to be characters in your story, so... <laughs> my Pokemon stories got Red, Blue, and Leaf, and Red is kind of the main character for the most part, but he's also had the most walls kind of put in his in his path. Like, the other two more or less get, like, help from third parties sometimes, and, like, they, they you know, they struggle and they go through their own difficulties, but Red, for the most part, has the has been going from wall to wall, like trying to trying to accomplish his goals. And I think that might be part of part of why I just I find myself much more inclined to, to make life difficult for him when I need to. Yeah. One thing I'd say about like someone bursts in the room with a gun is that you need to you need to be good at improvisation. Yeah. To do that. It is a very good way to inject life into a story and to go past like a block that you're having. But I've done I've done similar things to that, and then that that leaves you with a a problem to solve that isn't necessarily going to solve your immediate problem that you were having prior to someone coming in with a gun. Yeah. Right? You can only have so many people burst in with a gun uh, before your story starts to fall apart a little bit. Um and there are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of variations on people bursting in with a gun, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's National Novel Writing Month as we record this and I'm doing it this year and it's one of the things that I'm trying to shy away from a little bit just because I had um, National Novel Writing Month 2011 or something this is time travel story and I just every time I was like oh I'm blocked let's let's insert a new character <laughs> like a new thing and it didn't make too much sense or have any narrative cohesion so that is my one caution on that 
But I mean, if you're good at improvisation, sort of like weaving threads together and letting the story sort of take you places, it's not really that much of an issue. Right. Or you can be Stephen King and write a, a story like Under the Dome, where at the end of every chapter, something crazy happens that hooks you for the new chapter, but he never quite manages to coherently link it all up together for the grand finale. Yeah, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but for The Stand, that his explicit strategy was to write a chapter, end it on a cliffhanger. And he did that for the first, like, you know, dozen chapters or so, and he'd come back to, to viewpoint characters eventually, and he'd just end it on a new cliffhanger. And he did this until they, like, get to this town together, and then a serious case of writer's block stopped him because he did not know where the story was going. And everyone had got together and he's just like sitting there and drinking heavily and thinking, <laughs> I do not know how to end this book because there wasn't, there wasn't a plan. And, you know, I can't rely on cliffhangers forever and I can't really at this point insert new things into the plot because, you know, you have to resolve those new things. And if you're, thirds of the way into the book, which is the point that I'm talking about, like, where do you go from there? Um, it's one of the reasons I found endings really hard, because you can't... Yeah, and that's where Deus Ex Machina comes yeah. in. One of the other versions of a man comes in with a gun is and then ninjas attack. <laughs> so, I found my solution to, like, how this can be used without screwing up the story by writing a story about ninjas mm-hmm. who, you know, periodically jump out and attack each other. So I, like, I cheated by setting it up in advance so that I can do that. <laughs> random wild battle RPG style, yeah. Indeed, yes, yes. Roll the random encounters table. Oh, look, six ninjas. Oh, that's an interesting uh, thing to bring up, too, actually. I've written an article once about converting a tabletop RPG to a story. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to go into about how you do that and what the pros and cons of it are. But something I've never quite tried, I was wondering if either of you have, is treating your story like a tabletop RPG if you're stuck, and basically rolling the dice. I think Wildbow did something like this for just for like characters to see who would die in certain scenes, but have either of you ever tried like literally using a randomizer tool to tell you what happens next so you can get past uh, writer's block? So I've been doing that in the quest that Valorian and I are writing, Marked for Death, shameless plug. <laughs> and so we have a whole system that we've defined so every time i sit down to write a chapter which i will be doing tomorrow you know i get to a decision point and i roll dice that's sort of the conceit of the story and it works pretty interestingly although there have been times when i got through a whole section i was like oh crap they should have i forgot that they should have been thing, and you know and i have to go back and redo it so it, it has pros and cons right yeah i i came up through i think i probably was first attracted to writing through Dungeons and Dragons, which I've been playing since I was like 12 years old. Uh, and I was always the dungeon master. And so it was always a case of, you know, you have this plotted out narrative and then you have to adjust it or change it completely based on the essential random element of the, the players. And then also the dice that are, are being rolled. I think the artiste in me does not like it um, because I guess my ideal version of a novel has everything planned out and like plotted out. And it's this cultivated garden kind of, and you don't, you don't have room for that. Right. But that's not entirely how I actually go about writing. Yeah. But no, I, I haven't, I, I tried to uh, keep random stuff out for me. It's mostly, it's mostly about replotting them. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you guys want to talk about for this one? I think I'm good. 
Right. We probably might do another episode on writer's block at some point in the future, but those are more or less the basic strategies that I can think of for it. Thanks for joining us, Eagle Yarl. And uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually working on a sequel to To Your Emperor, which is currently using the working title Ninjas, because I am apparently terrible with titles. I'll try to put a link to it in the uh, show notes. Brilliant. Thank you. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next week. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming. Thank you.